1: $25 each.
0: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now.
2: That's livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now. When you think about the future,
0: what kind of technology do you envision? Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
1: Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix.
0: With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't
2: stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment
1: online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio.
0: Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel.
1: They call me Ben. We are joined as always with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this Stuff They Don't Want You To Know. We're diving into some hidden history today. We're diving into, as odd as the phrase may sound, something new about history. Because Faulkner was right, of course. The past is isn't even the past yet, and history is never over. It's an ongoing conversation. Most people living on the continents of North and South America are comparatively recent arrivals, right? While many people living in both South and North America have a long family history here, uh, if you look at the larger scheme of human migration across the planet, Human beings are kind of a a new thing for these two continents. We know, roughly, we know ballpark the story of humanity. Ancestral primates evolved on the African continent, and from there, our species spread around the globe. However, even today, in 2020... On August 7th, 2020, as we record this, our species still gets bogged down in the details, especially when we get to the timeline. So today's question, when did human beings actually reach the American continents? Here are the facts.
0: Most experts within the fields, the various fields of science, anthropology, and the like, they agree that the story of the continents of South and North America At least as we understand them now, they didn't begin with humans on them, or humans were not there very early. These landmasses were home to a lot of creatures, a lot of animals, a lot of flora and fauna, well before human beings arrived. And of course, if you're taking the really long look at the Earth, there are millions and millions of years where humans weren't here, but there were other creatures. But the big question for today is, how did humans specifically get here? On to North and South America. Well, uh,
2: the most common theory is this idea that involves Clovis culture and uh, the Bering Land Bridge. By about 14,000 years ago, uh, the first human beings to reach the Americas came uh, by crossing the Bering Strait, uh, which was uh, this land bridge um, between the far northeastern part of Siberia and the western, the farthest, uh, most western part of Alaska um and this theory known as the Bering land bridge theory is uh the one um, many of us gr- grew up listening hearing about you know in the school it actually makes a lot of sense it's the closest connection between asia and north america and it only opens when ice is locked up uh on land and then
1: sea level drops yeah it, there is a logic here if we're talking about early human migration Then we're talking about people basically walking, right, and probably following sources of food, maybe other animals that they rely on for sustenance. So it makes sense that they would be able to walk to North America from literally – the only walkable path, which is this bearing land bridge across the street that you're describing, Noel.
0: And all of this is based on the idea that early humans were unable to craft some kind of boat or ship that would be able to traverse the Pacific or Atlantic oceans in the way that we, you know, began to be able to do as technology developed. Um, that Just remember that. That's why scientists always focus on that land bridge because of the walkability, as Ben said.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Matt. And, you know, let's get in front of the obvious question that many of us are going to immediately ask, which is, why can I not walk across that bridge today? Why do I have to take a boat uh, or a uh, flight? Or why do I have to go on a doomed mission to swim the Pacific to reach Asia from the Americas? Well, that's because we are living in a different time. Back when, according to this theory, people walked from Asia to North America, they were doing so during something called the Last Glacial Maximum, or LGM, if this comes up so often in conversation that you don't have time to say the whole thing.
0: Also known as the the previous ice age, yes, or the most yes. recent ice age. <laughs>
1: The most recent ice age, yeah. The one before the next one, which maybe we'll be around to see. Who knows? Uh, it's 2020. I can't, I can't rule anything out at this point. Uh, so back when people were traversing the land in this way, much more of Earth's water was existing in solid form in glaciers. And now, the difference between then and now is that the sea levels have risen. So the bridge and the land these people walked is underwater, meaning also that much of the evidence of their migration is going to be lost to time. As the conventional wisdom goes, by this time, 14,000, 15,000 years ago, humans had migrated across the breadth of South and North America. You go up to modern day Alaska, you got humans go down to Chile. You got humans. The The West coast is riddled with them. You go to Northeastern Canada, you, you got people everywhere. You go down to Florida, boom, same thing. People plus gators this time. So what We're telling you right now is the official most often told story. And I want to pause here for you guys. Does this track with what, uh, with Noel, Matt, does this track with what you learned or were taught growing up about human migration? Basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is precisely what, what I recall from world history classes, both in high school and in college. Uh, essentially what we what we've just described here, the, the Clovis theory, the Clovis hunters and the evidence that we have found of their lives uh back in those days. I mean it was a long time ago, but you know, when you look at the span of what we know about humanity and, and the evidence that we found, it wasn't it wasn't that long ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think this story is going to be familiar to many of us because you You grow up in elementary school, middle school, high school. As you said, Matt, you go to college, and you'll still hear some version of this. But the problem here is pretty apparent. With every single new discovery about the ancient past and the story of humanity's migration from one place to the next... We find the story gets less and less clear cut. We don't have, uh, we we don't have specific points of time and shifts of patterns. Right? Uh, we don't have the origin story of humanity, and this is something that has baffled us on this show uh, since before. Oh gosh. We, like, we were doing this show when science discovered new mixtapes of early humanity, right? Denisovans, what was the other one? Homo florensis? Florensis, yeah. Floriensis, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, w- w- the point I'm making here is that we have been taught a story. We have been sold a narrative in a very uh, authoritative way, but... Everything we are learning as a species indicates that story is not as accurate as we are led to believe it is when we are children in school. So that's the question. When did human beings actually arrive in the Americas?
0: Before we jump in, uh, Ben, I just want to dovetail off what you were saying there. We have been sold this essentially and told this. All of our lives, everyone listening right now, I would say just to make it a little more positive because it's the best it's the best picture we've been able to paint with the information we've had up to this point. Right. And the 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 problem, I think the biggest problem that we're going to be tackling today that we have to address is that once that picture is painted, anytime new information, these new discoveries that you're talking about, Ben, come through it becomes more and more difficult to convince the painters of that picture that there needs to be some revisions right because um especially if it's a single point or a discovery in one place or a disco- you know one person's one team's discovery rather than three or four in an area that's kind of the the biggest problem
1: i see what you're saying and it's important because we're we're talking about discovering single points of information right single instances and what are single instances or examples against a larger body of thought you know what i mean oh yeah
2: and i mean those high school textbooks aren't like infinitely long they got to figure out how to tell a version of the story that is as close to the likely scenario as possible and teaches you something about the history of, you know, life. Uh, but you're right. It is problematic. It can be for sure. Because who, you know, there's so much uh, cantankerousness in science, too, of people making one discovery and then another crew making something that conflicts with that narrative. And then there's this kind of beef as to how it really happened. But there's a lot of politics wrapped up in it and all of that. So it's interesting for sure to see the way these things kind of take on a life of their own, especially, like you said, once the badger's out of the
1: bag, as Ben would say. Yeah, the, that's that's the issue here. We want to be very clear. We're not accusing your history textbook publishers of purposely lying to you. And we are certainly not accusing your favorite history teachers from grade school of lying to you. Teachers work incredibly hard. Uh, they are some of the most important people on the planet, in my opinion. Uh, and they're not out to beguile and deceive you, hopefully. They're, they're not supposed to be. Uh, however, they're working with the information they have, right? And when we look at the realm of science and how science is communicated or disseminated to the population, we see that, to your point, Matt, sometimes people cling to a thing because it is the established fact. Now that does that that is indicative of a lack of skepticism or a lack of critical thinking. It's also a very human understandable thing psychologically speaking, right? Uh, I don't want to uh, I don't want to seem as though we are being uh, dismissive or derogatory toward the many people who have spent their entire academic careers studying various, incredibly specific aspects of Clovis theory or the current official story of human migration. But I will say in the past, I am sure there are people who spent decades researching one thing and published about it. And then there, their uh, and then new evidence was discovered that disproved or challenged their life's work. And so they just kind of, you know, played it to the left. What, what am I going to do after 45 years in the game? Change my mind? It'd be a better world if people did that, but they often don't.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's an, another situation where once you have this established fact, you have to go far and beyond to prove that you're, you, that, that fact needs to be altered or negated, right? You, that, That's why it becomes so difficult um, to make these big changes to to existing stories and they are stories don't 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 kid yourself these are stories that we are constructing based on the things that we have found and as we tackle this big question today when did humans arrive in the americas we're going to realize that this thing is much more complicated than we expected and we'll tell you all about it right after a word from our sponsor
3: So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
4: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
0: Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll
4: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio
2: app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: We started talking about this incident drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeartPodcasts. It's like the police
0: knew who he was before they got here.
5: A story about money, power, and corruption.
1: here's where it gets crazy you see the timeline is shifting on us the things we treated with such certitude turn out to be much less absolute than we had imagined and it again it goes back to uh, the timeline i think that's that's a big part of what the three of us are talking about today
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, you may recall that we only said human beings were spread across the continents by uh, 14 to 15,000 years ago. Um, For authors like Craig Childs, this shows that uh, humanity by this point was most likely already pretty well spread uh, throughout one or more areas of the continents uh, before this. And there are several major theories uh, that explain this. So let's start with a theory that we sort of talked about at the top of the show, uh, the Clovis First Theory. This is the idea that the first human migration happened after the last glacial maximum, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, and this migration later went into decline, um, only to be followed up by you know, subsequent waves of humans from other parts of the world. So this connects all of these first inhabitants of the Americas with The Clovis culture, um, which is something called a prehistorica paleo-American culture that's named for the distinctive stone tools that were found in Clovis, New Mexico in the 20s. Um, This also rolls into that Bering Land Strait idea, which we've talked about in
1: previous episodes and are at the top of this one. So this is your, I guess in the UK, they would call it your bog standard explanation for how human beings ended up on these continents. It's strange because this concept existed for a very long time, despite the fact that there were so many questions about it. If you look at the Clovis culture, the Clovis people, you'll find an historical mystery. It's as if they appeared out of nowhere and then suddenly disappeared. Radiocarbon dating tells us that what we regard as the people of the Clovis culture, appeared in modern-day America around 9,200 BCE, and then 500 years later, they vanished. So the the important distinction there that, that you're bringing up, Noel, is the idea that these folks came over after that glacial maximum, after that Ice Age, around the decline of that Ice Age, they were able to traverse the uh, siege perilous of the Bering Strait, and they were, from there, able to spread throughout the continent. But, of course, this theory did not exist in a vacuum. There are many other theories about early humans arriving on these continents, and for centuries— People have argued back and forth about this even before they could find solid evidence. What I mean by this is even before we had scientific standards for collecting, cataloging, and contextualizing evidence and information, we had many, many beliefs in, in civilization about humanity's origin story on this continent. You will find numerous religions that, argue some some version of an original person springing out of whole cloth or in some cases being created by a divine entity on on these continents uh, and then you will also see further research that's admittedly more secular uh, uh, that kind of forensically traces what we know about people on the planet, On other continents, right? Like we, this is, uh, let's just say it, coastal migration. Could people have gotten here by boats? Because if you can build a boat, that seems at least a little bit, it seems a little bit easier to travel to this new land via watercraft than to walk through the frozen wastelands of the Bering Strait.
0: Oh, absolutely. And note here that we're talking about coastal migration. And that sounds exactly like you imagine it to be. That is following along a coast at, you know, some distance, far enough away from it, but essentially following the water along a coast on a boat of some kind. That doesn't mean going straight out into the ocean right? <laughs> the way the way you can with larger ships and more reliable ships now. Uh, it's very different. So there are a lot of sources, there are a lot of people, institutions, and there's some research that suggests that this may be a possibility, coastal migration. So we know for for sure that in places like Japan and parts of Korea, South Korea, There have been amazing archaeological discoveries that have found that humans during the Ice Age were able to navigate coastal waters, even though it was so frigid and there's ice in many places. They were able to do that, and uh, they they were essentially navigating the northern Pacific coasts of what is now modern or what we would consider modern day Japan and Korea and Kamchatka with boats. So it's really no stretch to imagine that humans at some point, perhaps, were able to reach the Americas by boat using coastal migration. And here's why it makes sense. Because you could, right at the end of the Ice Age there, where we're imagining that people were physically walking across that Bering Strait, perhaps they were on boats just previous to the end of that glacial maximum, or during the maximum, or even after it, taking boats and following that coast, because you'd end up in Alaska, you'd get to British Columbia, then down south to Washington, to Oregon, all along the Pacific coast of what is now the United States, and it's pretty incredible that humanity, even during an ice age, was able to both survive and Prosper and even migrate. It's strange to think about
1: the world in in that way. To imagine a contiguous coast, and I like the point you're making, Matt, about the watercraft involved, because you know these aren't cargo ships, these aren't mega yachts or or schooners or brigantines or pontoons or I'm just naming boat boat words now. Does anybody else have a boat word? What's that one you like? No frigate. Frigate. Yeah. Yeah, friggin' frigate. (laughs) (laughs) These were none of those things. These were
0: tugboat. Okay, sorry,
1: tugboat. (laughs) Yes, these these were not even tugboats. They were they were small coastal craft, right? Like brown water navy kind of stuff. They weren't meant to go into the open ocean. They were just kind of tracing along the line of the coast. But if that coast is never ending. So they're just sort of following a thing, and it's like a video game uh, wherein there, you know there is a larger world out there. You have a rough idea of the parts of the map you've seen, but everything else is obscured. You know what I mean? So, so you may as well imagine that you are just always on the same coast of a thing you call the land. Who knows if there's anything other than the land and then, you know, the water,
0: what is compelling about that to me is what, what spurred that movement. And, you know, we, we discussed, we discussed the migration of animals that were used for hunting, right. For food, for the populations as a possible reason to just continue down the coast. If uh, fish populations, maybe because it's obvious that those boats were, would be used for fishing purposes, for catching food. Um, you know, I, I wonder if there was something, this is completely just off the top of my head, but I wonder what the thing was that spurred what which, whichever group, however large or small it was, to continue down that coast and just to keep going, to see what's, what's next. Oh, I, I wish I knew. I mean, necessity, I would imagine. Possibly. I, but, see, but I wonder if it wasn't. I wonder, you wonder if, it if it was a spiritual belief or or um something that's deep inside I think all of us to just find out. Well, there's something over there. Let's let's find out.
1: That's inspiring, you know, uh, especially now as uh, the next big step in space exploration may occur within our lifetimes. One one other thing that may have happened just uh, environmentally is people may have just been following the recession of the ice, Mm. depending on where you put them in the timeline, people may have just been going further along the coast because they were able to see more of the coast. I'm not being dismissive. I'm, I'm just saying like it, the environment appears to change so slowly that you might not be fully aware of how far you're migrating because your, you know, your grandparents we're miles away or kilometers away from the rest of the world. Uh, and then you, two generations later, still feel like you're by the edge of the ice, but the ice itself has moved.
2: So I think we're going to take one more quick break and then we're going to get into some new discoveries when we return.
3: so visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
4: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
0: Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll it.
4: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person
0: you share it with. So you hide the books, Gene
4: and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination.
2: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeartPodcasts, It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption.
0: so um
2: there have been some uh efforts recently some research that's kind of put this traditional narrative on its head a bit um and that includes some stuff very very recently published just in the last month in uh, a, a paper known called the timing and effect of the earliest human arrivals in north america uh, Lorena, Becerra, Valdiva, and Thomas Haim, um look into a pretty awesome and bizarre discovery. What they found was a piece of limestone uh, from this very specific cave, the Chiquajita Cave in north-central Mexico, uh, that could potentially prove that humans actually first arrived on the continent much much earlier than that narrative would have us
1: believe the one we we know from school yes ah uh, i've waited for this okay so like many of our fellow listeners we grew up i don't want to speak for everybody let me let me clarify i grew up convinced that there was hidden history everywhere you know and i was i was certain probably just cuz i was a jerk that human beings had all these ancient civilizations and that they had a a much longer time on these two continents specifically. And without getting into the weeds on all, all the crazy stuff that's out there, this is different because this is proof. This is quantitative proof that the first people... If people built these tools, you're mentioning, Noel, uh, arrived on North and South America like 33,000 years ago, that's nuts. Just to put just to put in perspective how much time that is, I hope no one gets mad at me for bringing this up. 1980 was 40 years ago, right? So like I think that's going to hit people. <laughs> When you think about yeah. thirty-three thousand years,
0: yeah, I mean, let's just pretend that humans live a hundred years, right? That's three hundred and thirty human, like human cycles, <laughs> iterations, versions.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very it's a very long story, and you know, for quite a while there would be uh, various people propagating what was essentially some narrative without proof. They would say, you know, I have had a spiritual awakening, and I realize that the true story of uh, insert usually specific brand of people here is that they came to modern-day South or Central America or North America uh, like after the fall of Atlantis, or the the sinking of Lemuria or something. And the problem is they didn't have proof. This is different because this is not tinfoil hat territory. Archaeologists in this cave discovered specifically three deliberately shaped pieces of limestone. They discovered a pointing stone and two cutting flakes. Right now... Pending new discoveries. These are the oldest human-made tools discovered on these continents. They absolutely do not fit that timeline. We were all taught in school. They also, they're also just one of several discoveries in this cave because this cave is like a um an episode of hoarders where the hoarder is just collecting sediment. The archaeologist spent a lot of arduous time digging carefully through various layers of sediment. It's kind of like a time capsule, a time machine. And these tools they found are in like the very back of the cave in the deepest layer of the random rocks and pebbles and bits of sediment that have accumulated there over time. This is important because when we know the layer in which they were found we have an enormous head start on figuring out when they were left in that layer and these things were here way before the last glacial maximum way before the last ice age that occurred like what between 26,000 and 19,000 years ago which means before that someone was in this cave and they had made tools and they 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 forgot them so if you think about it Because somebody did the equivalent of forgetting their keys at home, we are upending the story of human history thousands of years later.
0: We truly are. And we're going to tell you more about how this discovery was occurred. But I want to jump to another recent article from Nature that was published in July of this year, 2020. And it is titled, Evidence of Human Occupation in Mexico Around the Last Glacial Maximum. I'm going to read a quick quote from the abstract of it just to give you an understanding of what's happening here. It's pretty incredible because not only did they find those limestone artifacts that we're talking about there, those tools, there was a lot more and there is a lot more still being found right now. So from this article, it states the site yielded about 1,900 stone artifacts within a 3-meter-deep stratified sequence, revealing a previously unknown lithic industry that underwent only minor changes over millennia. More than 50 radiocarbon and luminescence dates provide chronological control and genetic, paleo-environmental and chemical data that document the changing environments in which the occupants lived. Now that is when you're talking about finding proof, right, that you you could be able to show to another scientist, to fellow scientists, and say, hey, look at all of this data we've collected from these things. You're you're talking about several different ways in which they are testing this stuff, with luminescence testing, with radiocarbon testing. Um, I mean, it's pretty incredible stuff here. And it really does show that humans were in that cave, as Ben said, way before that ice age. And these researchers and scientists who are there in that cave are continuing and they're going to keep digging and they're going to keep looking and who knows what else we're going to discover. But the reason why it took so long to find this stuff and it will take a long time to probably find more is because of how difficult it is to reach this location.
1: Uh, this is, <laughs> this is kind of a sunk cost for the, those poor archeologists, uh, The lead author of one of those studies is very, very clear about how much of a pain in the keister it is to get to this cave at all. He said that once they got there, Cyprian Ardeline, by the way, uh, lead author of that that study you're mentioning, Matt, uh, he said that once they got there, they just had to live there. It takes the whole day to get there from the nearest town, and part of that day is a continuous five-hour climb. He called it a logistical nightmare. So it's one of those things where, like, have you ever been in a very unusual place or a place that was very uh, difficult to get to? And you just thought, you know, while I'm here, I'm going to do everything I can. That's what they're doing in this cave. They're saying, okay, while we're here, let's get all of the information. That, that we can find. This is a logistical nightmare, but the nightmare has paid off because it appears that this cave was not used once. Is tremendously important distinction. This cave was not something that uh, an early human being accidentally happened to spend the night in, right? And then left their tools and went on their merry way. This cave was used over thousands of years by various people. It was kind. It was like a um, troglodytic version of a hotel. gets to use troglodytic again. Yes. Sorry, last time. But it, <laughs> it, the, what we mean here is it was a long. It was a long-standing known temporary refuge for some sort of nomadic people, and. They must have communicated knowledge of this cave to later generations, possibly via oral history, maybe enough time passed that that oral history became legend.
0: You can imagine that it might have been some kind of religious pilgrimage of some sort or something. I mean, again, that's me completely making it up. But you can imagine that something like that could be the scenario because of what they've been finding there could be a very special cave for one reason or another that we just don't know yet.
1: Yeah, we don't know. That's the thing. The the history is so thin here because of all the time that has passed. What we do know is that the conventional story many people were taught needs some revision. It needs to be updated. It's astonishing because most of North America was covered with ice during that ice age So if people were leaving tools in this cave at this time, and if they were migrating coastally, right, or however they got here, it means that they got here before that ice age began, or that means it's possible they did so. This means that despite everything a lot of people were taught in grade school, it appears that at least very small numbers of human beings lived in North America and possibly other parts of these two continents, Central and South America, during and immediately after the last ice age. And what we thought was the first migration is actually a second or subsequent wave. The human population grew larger after this period of abrupt had a global warming that started fourteen to 15,000 years ago. So don't call it a comeback. They've always been here, right? It's strange. Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah, and I think that study also suggested that some people had entered uh, the Americas before 29,000 years ago, uh, and that's possibly along the Pacific Coast. Um, and one final note, um, anthropologist Matthew Delorius of California State uh, in San Bernardino, raises a really important question to kind of leave you with: um, How could ancient people who had been in the Americas for more than twenty five thousand years have remained quote archaeologically invisible for over ten thousand years?
0: Um, and and he ha- he has an answer. He he does, but but his big question there is raised from the fact that in other places like Australia and Japan. Archaeologists have had no difficulty in finding evidence of human occupation from that same time period. They've been able to dig down and find, oh, wow, yeah, this is this is from twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 years ago. Um, why haven't American archaeologists found that? Or, you know, South American, North American archaeologists, why haven't we found the same things? And his statement to that idea is, quote, archaeologists in the Americas have either been doing things very wrong for the last 90 years or we have here an anomaly that must be accounted for. It makes a lot of sense to me. We, It's, it's an anomaly. Either way, I would say it feels like an anomaly that must be accounted for, right? And that's not the only big discovery, though there, the, this one I'm going to mention here isn't as recent. It goes back to the turn of the millennium back in 2000 and even before that there's a place in brazil it's a national park called serra de capivara it's uh there's there are several sites there i think there are 400 or something archaeological dig sites in this national park and in a few of them there have been paintings uh, um, these amazing cave paintings as well as other uh, evidence of human life in that area that appears to go back 22,000 years and perhaps even further in Brazil. So again, that's humanity in South America, in Brazil, a long time before the history books would, would say that we are. But that is a whole different story for another day.
1: And also, astute listeners, you'll note that's that's pretty far from the Pacific coast.
0: It is. (laughs) It really is. So both sides, it appears, uh, of the continents were, were being visited by humans, at least visited, if not lived upon.
1: So what do you think, folks? When did the first human beings actually reach the American continents? Let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find us all sorts of places on the Internet.
0: And also, do you think we've got anything wrong when it comes to the history of humanity on the planet. Do you think there's something being hidden from us? Do you think there's something we just haven't discovered yet? Anything along those realms, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we're conspiracy stuff on Instagram. We're conspiracy stuff show. You can join our Facebook group, Here's Where It Gets Crazy, which you can find on uh, Facebook. Surprise,
2: surprise. All you got to do is uh, search for Here's Where It Gets Crazy, and then um, name one uh, or all three, uh, a super producer or two, um, and then you're in. And you can join in the conversation with uh, fun memery and uh, and just good old conspiracy chit-chat, uh, some of which are episode suggestions. Uh, never a dull moment at Here's Where It Gets Crazy.
1: And if you are not particularly over the moon about social media, we of all people get it. But if you're a little more old school, you can give us a call. We have a phone number.
0: Yes, it is 1-833-STDWYTK. You can give the number a call, leave a message. You might end up on one of our new weekly episodes that focus on you. That's right, you. It's okay, you don't have to take your your earbuds out I'm talking to you Uh, Yes, (laughs) give us a call, leave a message We'd love to hear from you Anything you want to say, please do Uh, One other thing, do us a massive favor If you can, if you got the time If your hands are free Go to Apple Podcasts And leave a review for the show We don't care what you say We don't care how many stars it is Give us a review, tell us what you think just be honest, and uh, we, we'd love to, to hear what you say, and it'll help our show, honestly, with visibility. So please, please do so if you have the chance.
2: And if you don't want to do any of that stuff, why not just go to your uh, inbox and uh, write us a good old fashioned email? We are conspiracy
1: at iHeartRadio.com. each
0: visit live concertweek slash concert week to buy now that's live concertweek slash concert week to buy now
1: attention true crime enthusiast searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night. Look no further introducing Lazarus
2: naturals your trusted companion for CBD relief.